0: let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I'm really excited to see everyone here this morning because I really feel like the message this morning, God has something to say to us. I just really feel like this is a very important message and you're here for a very important reason. So as you listen to God's word today, I would just challenge you to listen to God. Open up your ears and hear what he wants to tell you this morning. Look past me and listen to what he has to say to you through his word. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter, verse 1 to 25. Then Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and says unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and says unto him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, get you hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon, the land of Naphtali... By the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with the devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Let's pray one more time. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this special time to come together as your people to open your word to read about your son. And Lord, I pray that you would set this, so- this time aside. And God, that you would speak to us this morning through this passage, that you'd cause us to hear your voice, that you'd take away distractions. And Lord, that we wouldn't leave here missing what you have to say to us. Help us to hear your voice. Give us the ears that we need to hear. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you might be honored and glorified. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 1, we read of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew 2, we looked at the circumstances surrounding his young life. He was born, and then some magi from the east came to visit him, and Herod didn't like that too much and wanted to kill Jesus. So God sent Jesus into Egypt and brought him back after Herod's death to live in Galilee in Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 3, we have the voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, getting the people ready for the king. And in Matthew 4, we have the temptation, or what's called the temptation of Jesus and also the beginning of his ministry. Now it's interesting though, while the Gospels are written about Jesus, often many preachers make it all about you. You Ever notice that? Everything is about you. So you read the uh, the Gospels, but everything is about application for you. Jesus died on the cross. That means you need to die on the cross too and take up your cross and follow him and You need to deny your sin. And they miss the point that this is about Jesus. This isn't about you. This is about what happened to him. And while there is application, there's always application. Lord willing, this morning there will be application for you. We can miss the main point by application. We can read the life of Jesus and just ask ourselves, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And miss what God is doing or has done through his son. This is the goal of the series of Matthew. There'll be plenty of application and the Lord will show you what that is. But I want you to focus on Jesus as we go through Matthew and what God has done through him. This very precious section has been called as I said the temptation of Jesus. But that can be a little misleading. Number 1 it's true that Jesus is tempted of the devil to do evil and to do wrong. But if, all, if that's all we see, we have a limited view of this section. Because this is actually a testing from God of Jesus. If you've no, did you notice that the Spirit led, in verse 1, Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? So this is a temptation of Jesus of the devil to do evil, but it's also a testing of Jesus by God. Also, it's not the temptation of Jesus as if this was the only time he was tempted of the devil. All throughout Jesus' life, and we will see throughout his life, again and again, he faces temptation from the devil. However, this is a very significant section worthy of being titled his temptation. But don't think that it's his only temptation. And don't miss the point that God is testing him. God is proving him. God just said, After his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit takes him into the wilderness to prove that, to prove the title and the announcement God just gave of his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So it's a divinely intended testing. It's interesting God loves his son. He said, this is my beloved son. And it's interesting how much hardship he puts his son through, isn't it? This isn't the only hardship that he goes through. But He said, right after saying, I love my son and I'm pleased with him, he sends him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's a dangerous situation. He sends him into this cruel world to be rejected. He sends him to the cross to be crucified, and yet he loves his son, and he's well-pleased with him. Hardship isn't a sign that God doesn't love you or doesn't love his son. Don't have this naive view that, you know, if God loves you and God's on your side, then everything is going to go well for you, because look at the life of Jesus. That wasn't the case for him either. God does love his son, and he loves you, and that doesn't mean you won't be subjected to hardship. God had a purpose for sending his son into the world. God had a purpose for sending his son into the wilderness. And I want to suggest that it's the same purpose. Why did he send his son into the world? It tells us in Matthew chapter 1. He will save his people from their sins. It's a redemptive purpose. God sent his son Jesus into the world to save you. And I want to suggest this morning that God sent his son into the wilderness also for that same redemptive purpose. What if he hadn't been tempted? You ever thought about it? What if this story wasn't in our Gospels and there was no temptation of Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness by the devil? What if he had failed his temptation? Could he have saved you? Had Jesus not been tempted by the devil... He couldn't have been our high priest, according to the book of Hebrews. Turn with me there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. If Jesus had not have been tempted by the devil, he couldn't have been our high priest. A high priest is one who comes to God on behalf of man and comes to man on behalf of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help them that are tempted. See, if Jesus hadn't have been tempted, he couldn't have been merciful and faithful towards you. Have you ever been unmerciful towards somebody in need? It's usually because you haven't been in that situation before, right? But you notice that when someone has gone through the same thing, they're full of mercy and sympathy towards those who are in need, aren't they? Jesus understood through his life on earth what it was like to be human, what it was like to be tempted of the devil, and what the devil's temptations were all about. And Jesus can relate to us. Jesus can understand, and he can help us because he was tempted likewise. Look at chapter 4 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, start in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. He's a great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points, all points, do you think you've ever gone through anything that Jesus has experienced and gone through also? Isn't that wonderful to know that Jesus has gone through it too, yet without sin? He knows exactly what you're going through. The only difference is he didn't sin, but he knows and understands. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So one, if Jesus hadn't been tempted, he couldn't have been the high priest that we need. Number two, if Jesus had have failed his temptation, he wouldn't have been the spotless sacrifice and the Lamb of God that was necessary for us in order to make atonement for our sins. It was necessary that he was tested and proved spotless. It was necessary when a sacrifice was going to be made, they had to choose not a lame animal. They couldn't choose an animal with spots. It had to be faultless. This was a symbol of the sinlessness of Jesus. And so the testing of Jesus in the wilderness was like God taking the lamb and looking him over and trying to see if there's any spots on this lamb that would disqualify him for being our sacrifice. If there was one spot on Jesus, then he couldn't have been our sacrifice and our Savior. God tested him, just like the priests would test the lambs and the animals that came. They'd look him over, and he found him to be spotless. This was the time of Jesus' testing. This was all a testing for his death. Everything that Jesus did was leading towards his crucifixion for us the spotless lamb for us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ is what we aren't. We are unjust. If you believe that Jesus died for you, then understand you are unrighteous, and Jesus is righteous, and he died for you, In your place, the just for the unjust. Why? So that he might bring you to God. Christ, the just, spotless lamb, died for your sins to bring you to God. You can't come to God without him dying for your sins. The just, the spotless, the faultless for the unjust, the spotted, and the ones who are full of fault. And he did that for us. And God sent him to do that for us. While all mankind is sinful, God invested time into a people, didn't he? We know that all mankind is sinful. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God invested time into a people. God took a sinful portion of humanity and invested instruction into them. He showed them, He taught them of himself. I'm referring to the people of Israel whom God chose by grace, brought them out of Egypt, taught them his law, showed them his love, showed them his care, showed them who he was. And what happened? When sinful man is instructed by God, do they prove to be righteous or unrighteous? Unrighteous. see, Israel is a lesson for all humanity. Some people think, yeah, we're all sinners, but with a little bit of education and uh, with a good organization and a little bit of miracles thrown out there, then mankind will be good. Israel is a lesson for all mankind. Israel is typical of all mankind. If God had chosen any other people, the same story would have happened. And we're to look at Israel and learn. Yes, all mankind is sinful, but even if God takes them and instructs them, They don't become better. They actually become worse. That was the prophet's accusation of Israel is that they became worse than the nations that were not instructed. Religion makes you worse, not better. Shows man's sinful heart and rebellion against the one true God. This is important because The testing of Jesus in the wilderness is a parallel to the testing of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. And where Israel failed, Jesus obeyed. Where Israel failed, Jesus obeyed. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you'll see the similarity here between Israel's testing in the wilderness and Jesus' testing in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. I'll read to verse 5. Deuteronomy 8.2 You shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Here's why he did that. To humble you and to prove you or to test you. God brought the people of Israel into the wilderness to humble them and to test them to see what? To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not and he humbled you, and he, look at this, he suffered them to hunger. You ever wondered why when God brought the people of Israel into the wilderness, he didn't just bring them to water? How come he led them into situations where they got hungry and thirsty? You ever wondered that? Why didn't he just bring them from one spring to another spring, and they, and they never had to deal with hunger, and they never had to deal with thirst? Why would God in his providence Caused them to thirst and caused them to hunger, because that's what he did over and over and over again. What well, it says, he, want, he suffered them to hunger. He allowed them to hunger. To test them. To prove them. He fed them with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was teaching them. He was testing them whether they would understand that, look, I don't live by bread alone. The ultimate thing isn't whether I get water or bread. The ultimate thing is whether I listen to God and know him and trust him. If I have all the bread in the world, but I don't know God, what do I have? What if I'm hungry and I'm trusting in God? I have everything. So he brings them into the wilderness to prove them and he allows them to be hungry. Jesus recognized this is what was happening with him. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and he was hungry. This was to test what was in Jesus' heart. And so, brothers and sisters, when we look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, we're getting a glimpse. Into the heart of Jesus. What is in his heart when he's hungry? What's in your heart when you're hungry? We get to see into his heart. In his heart is obedience and trust in God. So, Matthew chapter 4, three temptations. You probably are familiar with them. The temptation of food, of the physical need. The temptation of testing God and the temptation to worship Satan and not to worship God. God. Where Israel failed, which is typical of all men, Christ obeyed. So let's look at these temptations. Verse 2 and 3 of Matthew chapter 4. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterwards... Hungry, and when the tempter came to him, he said, "If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread." Now, I want to point this out. It's often said that Satan is is questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God or not. Right? It's often said Satan's coming to him and trying to raise a doubt about his sonship. And brothers and sisters, I want to suggest that that's not at all what's going on here. That would be very shallow indeed, I think, for Jesus to be like, am I really the son of God? <laughs> and what does that have anything to do with bread? Command these stones be made. He might as well have said, hey, see that scorpion? Turn, it, turn him into a carousel. He like, could have been anything. It, just prove you're a son of God by a miracle. No, Satan's not causing him to doubt his sonship, whether he's the son or not. This is all about, and listen, Satan tempting him to doubt God. This is all about Satan tempting him to doubt the goodness Of his father. If you're the Son of God and have all this power, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Satisfy your hunger. He's playing on his hunger. Eat. Now, God led him into the wilderness to be hungry. And like the children of Israel, when God led them into the wilderness to be hungry, they started to complain and say, what, did God just bring us out here to die? If Jesus had turned the stones into bread, he would have shown that he wasn't trusting in the Father. My Father brought me into the wilderness, and I'm starving to death. I need to take matters into my own hands, and I need to turn these stones into bread and eat. Most important thing for me right now is to get food. Jesus recognized what was happening to him was a test like what was happening to Israel. And so he answers from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan's temptations, brothers and sisters, are always about making you doubt the goodness of the Father. You know, he's led you into this place, and you're just going to starve to death. He's not going to take care of you. The original temptation in the Garden of Eden was about doubting the goodness of God. Has God really said you shall not eat? Yeah, well, he did say we shouldn't eat this. Oh, well, you're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. That's all. The reason he told you not to eat is because not because you're going to die, but he doesn't want you to know good from evil like him, because then you'll be like him. Sowing Doubt into Eve's mind about the goodness of God towards her and Adam. That's what it's all about. That's the essence of the temptation in the garden. That's the essence of the temptation in the wilderness for Israel. They doubted God's goodness. And that's the essence of the temptation here with Jesus. Would he trust the Father? The Father led me here. The Father will feed me when the time for feeding has come. It's beautiful later in Matthew. Jesus is always teaching us about the Father being good. And he says, Look, you fathers here, if your son asks for you if your son asks for bread, would he give you a stone? Right? How much more will your father in heaven? How much more will your father in heaven take care of you too? So Satan was trying to come at him to make him doubt the father. He says, no, no, no. I don't need to turn these stones into bread. My father brought me here. I don't need to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to trust in his care for me. He does care. Physical needs are important. But the most important thing is that I'm trusting in my father. He is the ultimate source of life. Brothers and sisters, if you lose faith in the goodness of God, you can have all the bread in the world and you're not really alive anymore. The ultimate source of life, according to Jesus in John 17, is to know God, isn't it? Knowing God is eternal life. Knowing and trusting God, living off the words that he has spoken towards you. Isn't it amazing? God has spoken to us. God has revealed himself to us. Do you live off faith in what God has spoken to you? Man shall not live by bread alone. Second temptation. Verse 5 and 6. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple, and says unto him, If ye be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thy dash thy foot against a stone. Once again, Jesus is not being tempted to doubt whether he's the Son of God or not. This is all about doubting the Father. This is about the Father. He, the Father, shall give his angels charge over you. Isn't that what it says? He, the Father, will give his angels charge over you. Test God. See if he's really with you. See if he'll really do what he said he'll do. If he's really there. Test God. You see, this was Israel's problem also. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where Jesus quotes when he says, You shall not test the Lord your God. The full quote is this You shall not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. You shall not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Exodus 17. Exodus 17 is the story of Massa. This is the first time Moses strikes the rock. You shall not test the Lord your God as they tested him at Massa. Here's what it says in Exodus 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sin. After their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So God brings them to a place where there's no water. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why do you chide with me? Why do you tempt or test the Lord? The people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. Take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take thine hand, take it in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. You shall smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. Listen, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That was the whole issue. Is the Lord with us or isn't he? We need to test him. We don't have confidence that he is. We need to test him. Exactly what Satan was saying to Jesus. Hey, now the scripture says he'll give his angels charge over you. Test him to find out if he will do that or not. You don't have confidence that he will. You need to find out. Once you see it, then you can believe it. Jesus answered, You shall not test the Lord your God. You shall not test whether the Father is with you. You shall trust that the Father is with you. You shall trust in the goodness of God. Once again, what's it all about? Do you trust in the goodness of God, brothers and sisters? Do you trust in what He said? the third temptation. Verse 8 and 9. And this is very fascinating. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and says unto him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Isn't that amazing? Now, it is in keeping with the Bible that Satan is the current ruler of this earth. There's many verses we could go to, and I won't um, go to them this morning. But Satan is indeed the ruler of this earth. Now, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, this is also the temptation. Satan says it this way. He says, All of these things have been delivered to me, and I can give them to whoever I want. That's what Satan says in Luke 4. All these things have been delivered to me. So Satan is only the ruler of this earth now because God has given it unto him to be the ruler. Satan has no power except that which God has given. And he says, I can give it to whom I want. Now, notice at this moment, Satan wants to give it to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Satan wants to give it to Jesus. Why? Jesus indeed came to rule over all the earth. The prophets foretell that the Messiah, the King, will come and rule over all the earth. I hope you believe that. And the devil believed that too. And the devil says, well, we can fulfill prophecy here today. It's foretold that you shall rule over all the earth, and you shall indeed. What happens when Jesus meets demons in his journeys? They're always saying, you're the son of God, and you're the king, and you're going to rule, and is it it's not time yet though, right? 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 But they're aware that he's coming to rule. Satan knows he's going to be ousted. But Satan says, hey, I'm, I can give you what's rightfully yours. The end is good. But what's the means? What's the condition? He says, it's very simple, Jesus. Just worship me. Just fall down at my feet and worship me. I think here we see Satan's ultimate desire. Not merely to receive worship, however, but to take away worship from God. Will Jesus serve God or will he serve Satan to accomplish the same end? It's amazing that Satan wants to give it to Jesus. He's not necessarily opposed to Jesus' ruling over all the earth. Did you know there was one other place where Satan wants something that seems good for Jesus? Jesus rebukes him sharply. Do you remember where it is? Satan wants something good for Jesus, so it seems... In Matthew 16, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be betrayed and mocked and scourged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll rise from the dead. And Peter, his number one apostle, comes along and says, No, this is not going to happen to you. And he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you don't have The things of God in mind, but the things that be of man. Again, we find Satan seeming to want something good for Jesus. No, you're not going to be crucified. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to be betrayed. You're not going to be rejected. These are not good things. Isn't there some other way that you can be king and reign besides all this? Get behind me, Satan. Sounds good, doesn't it? But you're actually... Peter, speaking of the devil right now, get behind me. See, the issue here, once again, is Satan is tempting Jesus to doubt the goodness of God. Satan's basically saying, Jesus, there's some better way for you. Yeah, the Father's plan for you to receive the earth through the suffering of the cross. No, there's a better way. I know a better way. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to take that cup. You don't have to drink that which you don't want to drink. Casting doubt upon the Father. The Father's plan isn't good for you. The Father's plan isn't the best. You can bypass it all. In that same section in Matthew 16, Jesus says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He also says, The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. In that same section as well. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. You know what we learn from this, brothers and sisters, is that the kingdom of God isn't just about taking over. It isn't merely about Jesus as king ruling over all the earth, demonstrating God's might. The kingdom of God is more than the might of God. The kingdom of God is all about the goodness of God. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, joy, and peace. The kingdom of God is about the goodness of God. As Christians who have believed in Jesus and trusted in his gospel, we are a part of that kingdom, even though it hasn't come, even though it hasn't physically come to this earth. We believe it will. We are citizens of that kingdom. We've been translated out of darkness and into light. And we are enjoying citizenship in a kingdom filled with goodness, filled with the goodness, not just the might of God, but the knowledge of the goodness and the love and the trustworthiness and the care of our Father in heaven. Is it any surprise that when the kingdom comes to the earth, men will beat their swords into plowshares? And learn war no more why else except that the knowledge of the goodness of god has come they don't just beat their swords into plowshares because they've been strong-armed by heaven but they see the value they see the goodness in beating their swords into plowshares jesus chose chose to trust in the Father, though the path before him was marked with suffering and the cross. He wasn't going to bypass that in order to receive a kingdom that was less than the kingdom of God. He took the cup from his Father. The reason he came into the world was to suffer and then to be received into glory and to come again. He came into the world to die for our sins. How would you have liked it if Jesus had just bypassed all of that? and started to reign through Satan. He came to reveal to us who God is. And it tells us in the book of Philippians that it is because Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the Father, to the cross, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. If Jesus had reigned in Satan's way, sure he would have been a king over all the earth, But he wouldn't have had a name that is above every name. Jesus is coming again to reign. When he comes, men will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus' encounter with the devil was truly a battle for the goodness of God. Isn't it interesting? Think about it. The Son of God was tested. The Son of God was tempted. Satan came to the Son of God. And what was the issue all about? The whole issue was about whether God is good, whether you can trust in the Father. And Jesus showed at this time and throughout the rest of his life, even up to the garden and into the, at the cross, when he continued to say on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus showed that he had trust in the Father, even in the face of suffering and darkness. If Jesus had lost this battle, we would never know Who God is. There's many people in this world who believe in God, but they don't know who God is. They don't know the Father. There's many people that would love to see the truth of their God take over all the earth. To name names, I'm thinking of the Islamic religion. They would love for the whole world to be the kingdom of God. They would love for all men to worship God. Unfortunately, they don't know the Father. They want to just strong-arm everybody into submission to God. Jesus' kingdom is the opposite. It is in the victory that he had over the devil at his temptation that he came out of the desert, full of the Spirit, and began to preach what? The kingdom of God and ministering to the people. Later he says, "If I cast out demons by the by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come in has come unto you." The point of the ministry of Jesus is to reveal to men who God is. His whole ministry is marked by him disseminating the sweet knowledge of God wherever he goes. When he preaches, as we said earlier, he's always saying, "Look, if you're like this with your sons, how much more is God like this?" And he heals the sick and he forgives sins. And he loves the outcasts. And he teaches the prodigal son's story. His whole ministry is about proclaiming the goodness of God. And all of his teaching, is, it comes to a culmination in his death. All of his teaching finds its fulfillment in his death. There at the cross, God is revealed to us as a God who loves you. And his love for you Is greater than any love you can ever receive from any human being because it's a love towards you that is totally undeserved. It's a love that doesn't ignore your sin. It's a love that has been offended and yet it covers your sin. The one who dies for you is the one whom you have greatly sinned against. And he dies for you because he loves you and he doesn't want you to perish. You don't deserve it. You just trust in the goodness of God. Failure to believe the gospel is a failure to trust in God. No, 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 God's not that good. He wouldn't do that for us. Or if he did that for us, he wouldn't just let it be free. We would have to prove ourselves to him that we deserve it. All of that is a failure to trust in the goodness of God. This is the light that dawned in Galilee. We sang about it this morning. Shine, Jesus, shine, fill the land with the Father's glory. The light that dawned was the precious knowledge of the Father. This is what he calls the disciples to be to do when he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He calls us as Christians also to be fishers of men. We are drawing men to the knowledge of the Father's love for us in Jesus Christ. And that was the... Essence of his ministry, as summed up by Matthew. Brothers and sisters, the Father can be trusted. He has spoken to us of his love. He has demonstrated to you his love at the cross. You look at the cross and you become persuaded that there's a God who loves you and his love isn't dependent upon your worthiness. You can trust in the Father. What do you need to test him for now? You know, many of us, we go outside and say, if God really loves me, then this good thing's going to happen to me today. Or if God really loves me, this bad thing isn't going to happen to me today. We're testing him. We're not trusting him. What if that bad thing does happen to you? What if that good thing doesn't happen to you? Are you going to doubt that God really does love you? What happens if God leaves you into hardships? What happens if you have hunger or other physical needs? Are you going to think... The most important thing in my life right now is to have my physical needs satisfied, or you're going to realize that life is more than me having physical needs satisfied. As important as that is, life is all about me trusting in the goodness of God. He led me here, He'll take care of me. The Father can be trusted no matter what. The cross is the ultimate demonstration. Are you sinful? I know I am. Are you going through different hardships and trials? Are you failing miserably in your life? Is the Father's love for you only when you're not failing? Jesus, God's Son, the spotless Lamb, who never failed to trust in God, he wants to be your high priest and to help you trust in God. He was tempted on all points, yet without sin. And he himself, as the lamb, shows you God's love. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus is always there to help and to show you the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Lord, it is all about knowing you. The whole conflict, Lord, is over whether we will trust in you or not and believe who you are or not or believe some idolatrous notion that is less than who you are. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he's there to help us and he understands our difficulties. He understands how it is difficult to trust in you. And Lord, we thank you that he himself is the ultimate proof of your goodness and love and grace. And Lord, I pray that we all here today would come boldly before your throne of grace and find help to trust you in our time of need. We all have time of need. Lord, we all are sinful and fail. And I pray, Lord, that you would constantly remind us of your goodness through your Son. Lord, if there's anyone here who's struggling with a, with a guilty conscience or, or thoughts of failure because of their sin, I pray that you would just draw their eyes to see your amazing, unconditional love for them at the cross and that your blood was shed to cover their sin and to reconcile them to you and make them whole. And Lord, if there's anyone that's struggling with doubting God is with them or not, doubting the presence of God with them, maybe because of circumstances or hardships, Lord, that you would remind them of what you have spoken and what you have revealed to them through your son, Jesus Christ, and that they don't need to test you. They don't need to test you whether you're with them or not. It's for them to trust. Lord, may we all trust in you, our Father, in a greater way than we've ever had before. Thank you that this is life. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.